Jets fans, I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, apologies, we did a show a couple days ago that, uh, once again, some issues with Blog Talk, and uh, we did the show, we loaded it up, and about 20 seconds of it was on Blog Talk. So as it turns out, I sat here for about an hour and a half talking to myself. Um, so apologies, that's why the different night tonight, because it didn't work a couple nights ago. Hopefully we don't have a repeat performance of that. But, my goodness, folks, where where to begin? Where to begin? I mean, we've all we all watched it. we all we all sat, I'm sure, with our with our with our jaws dropping, eyes popping out, and wondering if what we were seeing in front of our eyes was real. I mean, what this team did, a forty eight seventeen dismantling of the Detroit Lions as as seven-point underdogs on the road in a dome with a 21-year-old quarterback who throws an interception for a pick six on his first ever pass attempt. And and all, all they do, all the Jets do from that point is go out and outscore the Lions 48-10 to 10 the rest of the way. I mean, it, everything, everything clicked. Everything worked. Offense was excellent. Darnold, after that interception, didn't have another turnover. Some fantastic throws, used his legs. He did everything we should do, basically. All the things Sam Darnold did well. All you have to say is Sam Darnold did exactly what he's done since, since being drafted by this team in live action, whether it's been – in team drills and training camp, the full speed sessions in training camp, the performances in live games, preseason or not, and and now again against the Lions, through great you know th- threw the ball well on the run, went through his progressions, hit his second third options, directed traffic, and I mean the the guy is just I still I still I watch this guy. I watch what Sam Darnold is doing right now, and I still cannot believe he's a Jet. I can't believe that this guy fell to the Jets. I know that that's an old conversation to have, but as I was watching him operate this Monday night against the Lions, I just couldn't help but think to myself that the Giants passed on this guy with a 39-year-old quarterback. And that's been said a million times, but I still can't believe it. I still find myself thinking it. I still find myself saying it. Darnold was fantastic. He was he was did a great job on Monday night. And here's the problem. And this we might go a little long tonight because if we're going to talk about players who played well, we might go through the the whole damn 53 man roster. I mean, every phase dominated. You gave up 17 points. Okay, you gave, your defense allowed one touchdown. 
and that came on. It, it was sort. It was more of an aberration. It, they dominated all night, and they had one series where they came out, they played soft. The Lions went down the field and scored a touchdown on about three or four plays. Outside of that, the, the, the Lions' offense couldn't do anything. Offense, defense, special teams, everybody played well. Everybody did a great job. You know, normally we'll do, when we do this show after a game, we'll do studs and duds. Folks, there's no duds tonight. I'm sorry. Team just won 48-17. If you think I'm going to sit down and nitpick to try to find one or two guys who had a hiccup so I can, so I can you know, blast them, I'm just, it's, it's not worth doing. There, there's so much... So much positive to discuss that, yeah, I mean, we may mention guys who could have played a little better, whatever it may be, but top to bottom, this team was was fantastic. We're going to go over, I mean, (laughs) you can't discuss all 53 guys, so we're going to talk a little bit about the guys who stood out the most, and there are plenty, and there are some that we may not even get to, and people may say, how did you not mention this guy? How do you not mention that guy? Again, we don't have time to, to mention 53 guys, but that's kind of – that's where this game leaves you feeling. You come away from this game thinking, you know, th- there's nobody nobody who doesn't deserve a pat on the back for their performance in this game. So let's, let, let's go through the list. Let's, let's talk about some of the top performers in this game outside of Sam Darnold, who, again, 21 years old, and the guy is – making veteran plays, veteran decisions that uh, – I said this a couple weeks ago after the – I believe it was after the – no, after the Giants game. And I did an article about it. I talked about it. The guy already, by his third preseason game, he already he already looks better. He was already doing things that Jets fans weren't seeing from Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith after several years. Several years under center for those guys. Multiple seasons, 30, 40, 50 starts. And they weren't doing the things that Sam Darnold, at 21 years old, was doing in his third preseason game. So there's no reason not to be ecstatic about the guy. Even when I try to rein it in, I try to tell myself, you know, it's, he's only a rookie, it's only training camp, and then it's, oh, it's only preseason. And now I'm telling myself, oh, it's only week one. Certainly doesn't help when you have Tony Romo coming out and saying this guy's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL in a few years, because in all honesty, I don't, I don't know that I could comprehend that at this point um, simply because he, he's on the jets, the jets having the best quarterback in the NFL are two things. I never thought I'd even have the, the possibility of hearing in my lifetime, but it wasn't just Sam far from a one man show. A lot of guys stepped up in this game and let's give credit where it's due. The first guy you got to name after Darnold, Darren Lee. Darren Lee had what was undeniably his best game as a pro. And it was great to see. I, I said, I, I did a piece a few weeks ago saying that, that this guy was on the verge of bust status. And as far as I'm concerned, he was. Um, and, you know, not that one game changes everything. But when you're, when you're going into year three and you struggled in year one and two, then you got to show something and you got to show something quick. And boy, did Darren Lee do that. Seven solo tackles, two interceptions. One of them, he runs back for a touchdown. 
we saw him, as much talk as there was about that, he made a play on a screen pass where he, he, he literally squeezed between three defenders to make a stop for a one or two yard gain. That, that, those plays, because they're not, you know, because it just goes down as a tackle and it's not points and it's not a turnover, it doesn't get enough mention. But for my money, that was, that was as impressive as, as either of the plays he made. And realistically, more important, because Darren Lee is going to have a lot more opportunity to make tackles than he is to get interceptions. So if he's come along to the point where he's, he's able to split, split blockers, get between linemen, tight ends, whoever's coming out on a screen or whatever it may be, and make some plays, he, he's, going to make, he's going to become a much better player. And we're going to see more impact plays from him. Even, you know, big tackles. You know, like I said, a play like that where a, a, where a, a receiver has three guys out front blocking for him and Darren Lee nice through all of them and takes the guy's legs out from under him for the stop. That was a phenomenal job by Darren Lee. You have to love what you saw there, the, the first interception. But the second, the first one is the one he ran back. The second one, though, is beautiful. I mean, good elevation. He had to fully extend, use every inch of his vertical to pluck it out of the air. Matthew Stafford pass for pick number two. And it was, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a great play and a great game for a guy that's been he, – he's, he's been given a hard time by the fan base. And even, you know, even myself, I've, I've said for the, his first two years in the league, it's been frustrating. He could be better. But, you know, let's not dismiss the fact that he's, he's a converted guy. He, was a, he went to Ohio State as a quarterback. And this is really his first, his first two leagues, years in the league was really his first true experience as an inside linebacker. So it was, you know, my take has always been let's give him time. But I said before the season started, this is year three. Like, the excuses have to stop. And if we get more of the same from Darren Lee in year three than we got in year one and two, then he's going to be, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be considered a bust. That's how he's going to be viewed. Looks like he's on his way to turning that perception around. And nobody would be happier if he did than I would because you need to hit on these picks. And uh, you, when you have a first rounder, you know, I've, I've talked to people about this before, about how, you know, you have first-round busts. There, there are busts, and there are busts. You know, technically speaking, yeah, a bust is a player who doesn't live up to his potential, who doesn't meet expectations. I get that. But that doesn't mean every bust is the same. You know, to me, Brian Thomas is a guy who didn't live up to his potential as a first-round pick. If you want to call him a bust for that, fine. But you know what? The guy had a quality 10-year career. You could certainly do a lot worse. You know, compare Brian Thomas to Vernon Golston and tell me that both those guys are the same thing because they're not. One of them at least had a quality career. So, again, you want to say he's a bust because, you know, a guy like Brian Thomas didn't live up to his status? You go right ahead. Me personally – if you get 10 years out of a guy who plays well, I can live with that because there are Vernon Goldsons of the world. And right now, Darren Lee is a guy who has played well at times, but he's, it's been inconsistent. In training camp, he, he was still, again, inconsistent, saw him get beaten coverage many times and, uh, and hoped that that would turn around. And it looks like he, uh, he well, it doesn't look like he did. He took a huge step in making that happen this week. And it was great to see. 
and hopefully, you know, hopefully more more of that type of stuff to come in the future, whether it be excelling against the run or against the pass. Time will tell, but you have to tip your cap to Darren Lee. He, you know, he's he's a guy. If you follow him on Twitter, you know that he hears the talk, he hears the whispers, he knows what people are saying about him, and he comments on it. And he said a couple weeks ago, he said, "Look, fans at Ohio State were on me until the light went on, and uh, and that's what's going to happen here." So hopefully he's right. Hopefully Darren Lee is uh, on his way to justifying that first round status and becoming a playmaker in this defense. Another guy I want to talk about because, man, man, was it refreshing. Actually, we're going to talk about two guys at the same time here because these are two guys that I talked about a lot this offseason because I felt like they were the reason why. With all the talk, all the the arguments I've had with people, whether it's in, you know, whether it's on Twitter or through people calling me, texting me on message boards, just telling me how bad this offensive line is going to be this year. And it's going to be the worst in the league. And Sam Darnold is going to get killed. And he has no chance behind this line. My answer every time. It's like, listen, Spencer Long is a huge upgrade over Wesley Johnson. And Brian Winters, assuming he is healthy, will be a much better player than he was last year. That's, that's two up. You needed three spots to play better this year. Okay. Shell at right tackle, Beecham at left tackle. They were solid last year. You could live with their level of production. You hope Shell gets better as a young kid. But it's the middle of that line that was a disaster with Carpenter, Long, and Winters. And those guys, especially Long and Winters, played fantastic. They played great football. Sam Darnold, he was on the run a little bit. He got sacked once or twice. I look. I looked at. Uh, I rewatched the game. You know, even as I was watching the game, I'm taking notes and I'm I'm noting that the the offensive line looks much better than many people expected. And then I take a look at PFF's numbers when they came out. PFF says the O line gave up three pressures. Three. Now I looked and I tweeted this out the other day. I looked at seven teams at random. Now, actually, full disclosure. Not 100% random because the first two teams I picked specifically because I thought they were teams that would have a worse offensive line than, New York, than the New York Jets. That was the Giants and the Cardinals. And then I thought, well, let me pick five more teams. And those are completely at random. I honestly can't remember which five, which five they were. And this is before the Jets game. This is on Sunday. I said, let's see. Because one thing I noticed in, in flipping through the red zone on Sunday, I thought, man, there's a lot of bad blocking in this league. And as much as Jets fans talk about how bad their line is, there are definitely some teams that are worse, a lot worse. So I looked at the Giants and Cardinals, and then I went through five teams at random. And of the five teams I looked at, and it was actually five out of seven, three of those five and five out of seven, if you include the Giants and Cardinals, allowed 20 or more pressures in their game on Sunday, according to PFF. So I looked at the two that I thought would be worse than the Jets. And then I picked five more. And so total of seven teams. And of the seven I looked at, five teams allowed 20 pressures or more. The Jets O-line allowed three. And, and let's throw James Carpenter in there. To me, Spencer Long and Brian Winters were outstanding. 
James Carpenter, you compare him to the work he did last year when he was uh, just a, a real liability at the position. And he had himself a pretty damn good game, good game too. You know, what he, he wasn't as good as, as Winters or Long, at least in my opinion, but he was still a much better player than we saw last year. So the end result, <laughs> the end result is that Sam Darnold gets hurried three times on, I would say, the majority of his throws. He had plenty of time to go through his progressions and make plays, which he did do. And then you had the running backs, Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell, who Bilal Powell, I've, I've been saying for about four years now, he's going he's gonna to be running the way he runs for a couple of years longer than you would expect the guy that hits 30. I've said it before. You look at his workload in college, you look at his workload in the NFL, the guys, he's probably got 27-year-old legs for a running back, 26, 27. He, he's not his, – his, uh, his true age isn't reflected in his, his, uh, his mileage in the NFL. So Isaiah Crowell, Blah Powell, they go out there, again, behind what a million people told me was going to be the worst offensive line in the NFL. Those guys have 22 carries for 162 yards and two touchdowns. Crowell busted off a 62-yard point. Okay? So your top two backs, 22 carries, 162 yards, and your quarterback is pressured three times. And I don't want to hear, well, it was only against the Lions. I'm not going to lie. It helps. The Lions don't have, you know, the Lions don't have a dominant pass rush. Ziggy Anza had a sack before he got out, before he went out when he got injured. I get it. But if you're telling me what you've been telling me all offseason, that this offensive line is the worst or one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Performances like that don't happen against anybody. The worst offensive line in the NFL doesn't go out there and pave the way for over 160 yards rushing on 22 carries for their running back while the quarterback gets hurried three times or pressured three times. That doesn't happen. I've said all along, middle of the pack group, I'm standing by that. I'll tell you what, if Winters and Long and Carpenter, especially Winters and Long, if they keep playing the way they did the other day, they'll be better than middle of the pack. That's where I said they would be. I'm thinking somewhere between 12 and 18 when all is said and done. 29, 30, 31, like so many people have told me. Somewhere in the middle. But if they keep blocking the way they did the other day, They'll be even better than that. But let, let's, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. As I said, it is one game. There's plenty of plenty to prove. But my my primary point is, if you're the worst O-line in the NFL or a, even a bottom five line, you don't have games like that. And when I can, when I do a quick random search and find five teams that allow 20-some pressures against their quarterback, then I, I don't want to hear anything about how bad this Jets offensive line is. That's an absolute joke as far as I'm concerned. So great news out of those guys. Long was really good. Shell probably look I would say Shell looked better than Beecham. Um Beecham wasn't terrible, but I would I would go with Shell. I mean let's say Beecham isn't a great run blocker. Better as a pass blocker. I mean all of them are really. Everyone on that line you know, historically better pass blockers than run blockers. 
But uh, I think Calvin Beecham struggles a bit in the run game, which is fine. You know, you look at some of the Brickenshaw Ferguson's best years and, and, you know, he, he wasn't a top-notch run blocker, but he was a guy you still want to protect in your quarterback's blind side. And one of the best stories of the game, moving on to the next, uh, the next person, the next player, we're going to we, – a lot, lot of game balls for this game, folks. The next guy I want to talk about is uh, – was the Jets' leading receiver, six catches, 63 yards, and a touchdown, Quincy Inunua. And I'll tell you what. If you watch that game and you watch what Quincy Nuno was doing, and I don't mean only when he had the ball on his hands, when they were using that guy as a blocker, you can't overstate how much the Jets missed him last year. The guy, and I've been saying this for a few years, he's a guy who does things that very few receivers in the NFL can do. You're not going to find a lot of guys who have the ability to be a legitimate number two receiver Possibly a number one in time, but at this point, we'll say a number two receiver who, as I've always said, plays with a linebacker mentality and is just a monster as a blocker, is a legitimate threat with the ball on his hands. He will run you over if you get in his path, and he will knock you on your ass as a blocker in the run game. And there's and he and he's, he runs a four four five forty. And he checks in at like two twenty, two twenty-five. The guy, he's he's the ideal hybrid. There's nothing he can't do. And not having him around last year, when I was watching him knock guys on their ass and throw, uh, coming in as a blocker in the running game, whether it was an H back in motion in the slot, wherever they moved them around, he just he did the things that he does, and it was great to see. I mean. Just an impossible player not to, not to root for. High character guy, team guy. As far as I'm concerned, it, you know, if I understand from the team perspective, they got to make sure the guy is fully healthy, and that he can, you know, he can do this for a sustained period of time. If Quincy Noon was still playing this way six, seven weeks from now, give the guy his deal now. Give him a big fat contract and lock him up, because there aren't a lot of guys in the NFL that can do what he does. And he's probably, well, he is the best thing to come out of the John Dick era. Phenomenal player, and everything about him tells you, you know, high-character guy. And that's just a guy you want in the huddle. You want him on the field. And you can't say, seeing him back out on the field and seeing how way he play, the way he played, clearly some, you know, building some good chemistry with Sam Darnold, led the team in targets, led the team in catches, led the team in yards. His touchdown, he ran over a couple of Lions running down the left sideline. Just a phenomenal job, and it had to be a great day for him, you know, after having to sit out for a year. That's got to be a, a tough pill to swallow. But Quincy just – he did a great job, and it was it was so nice to see him back out there doing what he does best. And moving back to the defensive side of the ball, another another acquisition from uh, from this past offseason – and a guy that, you know, a lot of us said, like, let's this could be an interesting acquisition. Henry Anderson, who the Jets got for a seventh-round pick on draft day, which which was absolutely insane because you knew the guy had proven in Indianapolis he could play. Um, I know people like hanging on to draft picks. I get it. People don't like giving up draft picks. But to me, 
when you can when you can do something like that, when you can deal a seventh round pick, and in exchange you're getting a a guy who has proven that he can play in this league, who isn't making a ton of money, who fills a void on your defense, it's it's such a no brainer, and that's what the Henry Anderson deal was. And he looked fantastic as well. He had a few pressures. He, uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look again, but I'm I'm quite sure from the first time through when I focused on what he was doing, um, looked like he was held pretty good a couple times uh, with no flags. So he's a guy that, you know, had the game been a little bit cleaner, he may have had himself a couple sacks. One of his hurries, one of his pressures led to an interception. And to get this guy for a seventh and the way he was looked in camp and preseason that and now week one, it's just it's fantastic. And what a breath of fresh air to have a guy out there who's you know, who's not taking plays off the way Muhammad Wilkerson did, because let's face it, that was embarrassing. Um and now you replace him with a guy like this who just absolutely looks the part and you know, the effort is there, the ability is there, then the results were there. You know, he just he had himself a really nice game. And I think that uh, Jets fans should be very happy with what they got out of him. As a matter of fact, I was curious, you know, having noted during the game and during the previous weeks, uh, preseason games, that he looked like he was one of the better pass rushers really on the team in terms of getting pressure. And he did earn the uh, the top grade among pass rushers, um, at least among starters. When I checked with uh, PFF's numbers, uh, Jeremiah Adochu, the the outside linebacker they had, he, he played 10 snaps. He actually got the highest rating, but – of the starters, Henry Anderson um, played 24 pass rush snaps and had himself a grade of 72, which isn't bad. So really nice job by him. And just to, you know, to see a guy play the way he did, you feel like you've really got to steal for a seventh round pick because let's face it, these seventh rounders make NFL rosters at about a 10 or 15% clip. And this is a guy who is still young enough that you can see if he keeps playing this way, He's a guy that'll be around for a while. So great job by him. And another guy sticking with defense because, again, just phenomenal effort all around. You gave up 10 points. The defense gave up 10 points to Matthew Stafford on the road. Um, just hell of an effort. Uh, actually, should have mentioned this guy earlier. Should have mentioned him along, alongside Darren Lee because he's another first-round pick, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, just like Darren Lee had his best game as a pro, as far as I'm concerned. And not just because he had the interception. He did have the late pick. But we saw him in coverage, jarring a ball loose from a receiver on what would have been a touchdown. So he had a touchdown-saving hit to go along with the interception. He was in the backfield consistently. First play of the game, if I'm not mistaken. Tackle for loss in the backfield on the Garrett Blunt. We saw him shedding blocks, making plays at and around the line of scrimmage, much like he did last year, but looked even more comfortable this year. And returning the ball. That was one thing I actually I saw on Twitter earlier. Uh, Brian Baldinger, the uh, former O-lineman who does some nice breakdowns, he had a clip on Anderson. And, he, you know, he mentioned some of these plays that I just mentioned, the, you know, breaking up the touchdown, the interception and all that. Um but he, you know, he's Baldinger going on and on about what a great job Anderson is doing. Or I'm sorry, Adams is doing. 
and you see him being as disruptive as he is in the backfield when they when, you know when they put him in the box and guys are taking up blockers and even when they're not when he's shedding blockers making stops again i want to say he got blunt it was like Garrett Blunt on the first play that he caught behind the line and then had a couple plays at the line, had the pass breakup down the left sideline, had the ball that he jarred loose that was going to be a touchdown. I mean, you can't do a lot more than that. You can't do you can't do much more than that. You saved the touchdown, you had a pick, you got in the backfield and disrupted some running plays, you broke passes up down the field. And he was firing on all cylinders. Even without the interception, Jamal Adams had a hell of a game. You know, the interception is its the sexy stuff, and I get that. I mean, those are the big plays. Those are the game-changing type plays. I mean, when he had his pick, the game was over, but I think you get what I'm saying here. The the pass breakups and these things don't make it into the, into the, uh, the stat book, but these are, plays that, these are plays that change outcomes of games. So a fantastic game for Jamal Adams. And I'll, listen, Jamal Adams and Darren Lee could start playing at a first-round level. Not to say Adams didn't last year. He struggled a little bit in coverage. And now we'll get to see him, you know, in the coming weeks against some better tight ends. Week three will be interesting because, if you recall, David and Joku beat him pretty good last year. Um, we did talk about the play, though. There was, you know, potential pass interference, but offensive pass interference. But either way, um, that'll be a good matchup. But Jamal Adams... Going into uh, going into my or going against Miami next week, he'll be looking to build on what really was a, a fantastic game, fantastic game, and he should be very happy with himself. And Jets fans should be excited because you know we know how tough it is when you get these guys who don't play to their draft their uh, their draft slot. And again, Adams played well last year at times, wasn't wasn't great in coverage. But if we see improvement from him and improvement from Darren Lee, that's, just, that's icing on the cake. You know, that these guys, to, to imagine what these guys could be in this defense together. They're both so quick. They're both so physically gifted that it could be uh, it could be pretty interesting, pretty interesting tandem in the middle of that defense for years to come. And speaking of guys in the middle of that defense, my guy, you hear me talk about him all the time. Steve McClendon, folks, again, I've, I've said a couple times already, guys doing things that don't show up in the box score, go back and watch that game and watch Steve McClendon on two or three occasions. I mean, consistently, consistently, you know, beating his man. But he had a few plays where he just absolutely destroyed the guy in front of him. And one of them, I want to say, when you know, everyone, Frankie Luvu, rookie linebacker, undrafted guy, had himself a nice game, had a tackle for loss. If you go back and watch that play and look, watch Steve McClendon open up that lane to make that tackle for loss possible. Steve McClendon is just, it, it drives me nuts how unappreciated he is. But, man, I just, I just love the way he plays the game. And I thought he had an absolutely phenomenal game against Detroit. He was, of course, you know, because I'm so high on him, he was he was one of the first guys I wanted to look at, you know, and, you know, we, we say it all the time, PFF isn't gospel, it's a nice guide, it's a way to kind of, I like to go back and use it to double check myself, if I think a guy played great or a guy played terrible, I just kind of go, let me let me get an idea and see how far off I am from what PFF is, is thinking or saying. 
So I thought McClendon was absolutely phenomenal in the middle of that line. Um, and so I went, I popped over to PFF when their ratings came up and they, uh, they actually, we mentioned Darren Lee already. And he was, he actually earned the highest grade in the NFL of any player, not on the jets in the NFL on defense um, this week. Um, they graded him out of a 94.5, which is amazing. Um, Morris Claiborne was number two on the Jets. He had himself a nice game. Uh, they're right there at number three, Steve McClendon, 83.3, which is a damn good grade. And uh, it wasn't the least bit surprising. I, I kind of thought to myself, I said, that's, you know, whatever his grade is going to be on PFF, I thought it's, it's going to have to be at least somewhere in the 80s, if, you know, thinking maybe high 80s. But uh, 83.3, folks, no, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Another fantastic performance by Steve McClendon. The guy just does an amazing job against the run and is, is better against the pass as a pass rusher than you would expect from a nose tackle. He does a nice job there, too. So tip your cap to Steve McClendon and, and be happy that that guy's on your team because, as I've said a million times, not just a, not just a great player, but uh, comes across as a great locker room guy. I had the chance at camp this year um, to talk to a couple people and just out of curiosity, touch base about McClendon. And they, they couldn't have spoken any higher about the guy, about uh, precisely what I was just saying, that he's, you know, high character guy, great to deal with and things like that. So it's, um, it, it's great to have guys like that on your roster. You want them around. You want guys who can make plays. You want guys who can help other guys make plays. And that's really Steve McClendon's role. It's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a, a thankless job because the fans do get caught up in touchdowns, sacks, interceptions. You know, if you're not doing one of those things, a lot of fans don't even know your name. Um, but Steve McClendon makes a lot of stuff possible. So big, big tip of the cap to him as usual. And I mentioned Morris Claiborne getting a great, having a fantastic grade with PFF. And uh, Tremaine Johnson, folks. The the big the big free agent catch from this offseason. He had himself a pick early on. Uh, he got beaten coverage a couple times, but uh, as I say all the time, I think I think people get a little bit caught up in, you know, if you say you like a DB and the guy gets beat a couple times, all of a sudden people start losing their mind. Thought this guy was supposed to be great. Thought this guy was going to be awesome. And it's like, yeah, it, even the best players get beat. You know, I, I do, I think, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, um, I've kind of gotten tired of the term shutdown corner, because if you're, if you're going to be honest with yourself, there are probably, probably three or four of those in the entire NFL. There's not, you don't have that many shutdown corners, but you do have really good, some really good ones. And I think he's one of them. And I think that his addition is going to be huge for the secondary. And we got to see that this week. I mean, that's a, that's a whole – that's a lot of turnovers, folks. Five interceptions. He just had five interceptions as a team. And for those of you who, who saw Seth Walder's tweet earlier, Seth Walder of Sports Illustrated, he shot out a, a screenshot of a freeze-frame picture of Perry Nickerson. For those of you who watched the game and remember, just before the end of the half, Perry Nickerson came in for Buster Screen promptly got himself a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for talking a little trash after a tackle. Now I don't know what was said. I would I would I would venture to guess it was, you know, officials being overly sensitive, but that's neither here nor there. 
you know, you want to throw a flag on a guy because he said something mean. I can fine, whatever. Um, but on the next play or his next opportunity, Perry Nickerson, Sam, uh, I almost said Sam Bradford. Matthew Stafford lost up a ball in the back corner, right back corner of the end zone. Perry Nickerson times it perfectly, goes up, comes down, gets one foot in. The second foot was a little bit questionable. On replay, it was even questionable. But for those, uh, like I said, Seth Walder, who freeze-framed it and and kind of showed you, this guy, you know, that, that the right toe was inbound. The right toe did touchdown. So this this team had five interceptions and really should have had six, which is just unbelievable. They had, they had 11 interceptions last year. In 16 games, this team had 11 interceptions last year. They should have had six the other day. They did have five. They had nearly half as many interceptions this year as they had all of last season. Unbelievable. Sometimes that there, so much went wrong last year that sometimes I forget just how bad this team was at forcing turnovers. Uh, not the issue at all on Monday night. And just great showing and a great showing from the secondary. As I said, the corners were phenomenal. And again, they had one bad drive. Other than that, they gave up a field goal. As we said, the other points were on the Darnold interception on the first play. Which, by the way, I got to say, all the trolls who were flooding, absolutely flooding Twitter timelines with with all the things that, uh, all the jokes and Bleacher Report, for God's sake, they must have had this thing dialed up and ready to go for Sam Darnold's first mistake. Sam Darnold throws an interception. Three seconds later, Bleacher Report tweets out a picture of a smiling Teddy Bridgewater saying, you know, you could probably use me. Too bad you traded me. I mean, are you serious? I I get that people want clicks and attention and all this garbage, but Jesus, for crying out loud. Really? One play? And, I mean, I I get that from like a, a dopey super fan or something like that. But, I mean, but anyway... My point being, those people went away pretty quick. They had a lot to say for about 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden they were gone. I still haven't seen them. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's laughing at Sam Darnold's interception after he then goes out and has a phenomenal game and shows off all the things that, as we discussed earlier, the things that the Jets saw in him that give us reason to believe he's a franchise guy. But really just an idiotic take to jump on a guy after one pick. I, it shouldn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't make it any less pathetic. But anyway, let's let's talk about something that was the opposite of pathetic. And the Jets' special teams, namely Andre Roberts as a return man, having a phenomenal game. And I, I said I said many times during the preseason that I hated the fact that this guy was going to make the roster and it's not because I don't like the player. It's not because I don't think he's a good player. With this youth movement, I really, really was hoping that this team would find a young kid out. Maybe a Trenton Cannon would, would work out as a return man. I wanted to see a guy with upside get that job. The fact that somebody didn't, you can live with it. But Roberts, my goodness, three returns for 135 yards. It's a 45-yard per attempt average. And one of them, of course, a 78-yard return for a touchdown. 
Everything, folks. Everything. The running game. Robbie Anderson had one catch. What, what was it? It's a 41-yard touchdown because that's what Robbie Anderson does. He scores long touchdowns. That gives him eight, I think, for his career. Eight touchdowns on catches of 40 yards or more. And he's done it against some of the best. And if not for the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick's deep ball was so bad a couple years ago, he probably would have had another four or five 40-yard touchdowns as a rookie. So this guy, I mean, what a what a tough situation the Jets might be in with him. You, you, all you do, you just hope that guy can keep his nose clean and and play here for the next 10, 12 years. Because athletically, the, the way that guy just goes out and beats people consistently is, is unbelievable. Speaking of Robbie, though, I will say, if we're going to call out one thing for being idiotic, stupid, the, 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 probably the biggest black eye on the night was the Jeremy Bates end around to Robbie Anderson that they lost yards on. Just a really, really uh, questionable play call. I know Robbie Anderson wasn't seeing a lot of targets up to that point. Maybe you want to get him involved, but there's got to be another way other than, you know, sending him on an end around that loses you some yards. You know, he as much as people talk about Robbie being a guy, one-trick pony, listen, he had, you know, it's not like he caught 65 deep balls last year. He can run a comeback. He can run an in. He can run a couple different routes. I Personally, I would say find a way to get him involved that doesn't include the potential of losing five yards on a run play. But, again, if, there you go. I said earlier we wouldn't have any negative, neg- any negative thoughts. There's one. The, the one, the biggest negative, I think, on the night. Um, because, again, I would have found a different way to get Robbie Anderson involved. But overall, just a, a fantastic performance. And, th- th- folks, th- this is without Jermaine Curse, by the way, th- what this offense did the other day. Robbie Anderson, like I said, 41-yard touchdown. Terrell Pryor had a couple big catches. Quincy was the man with six catches. The tight ends didn't get very involved, but let's face it, there's only so many balls to go around. You know, there's going to be games this year where tight ends aren't going to have any catches. And it's not because they can't. It's not because they're not good players. It's because there's they have four or five wide receivers. And I think uh, when the run game is going well, they're going to they're going to use that quite a bit as well. There's no need to get away from it if it is going. So we're not going to see a, a, a ton of targets elsewhere. But what what a nice what a nice problem to have that you have enough pass catchers that you're you know not everyone's going to get a, get an opportunity every week. But we mentioned Jermaine Curse a minute ago. Um, that brings us to the injury report. The Jets released their first injury report um, of the day, of the week, rather, uh, coming up to the Miami game. Um, Marcus May, with his foot, didn't practice again. So not off to a good start if he's hoping to make his debut. He missed last week. Doug Middleton filled in, did a nice job. Although Middleton did have a, a missed tackle on, on the touchdown that they allowed. Um, Josh Martin, because of his concussion, didn't play as well or didn't practice today as well. And Neville Hewitt, inside linebacker, didn't get any action today. Um, he's got a knee that he's, he's, he's got an issue with. So no Marcus May, no Josh Martin, no Neville Hewitt. No, nobody was limited. Anybody who, any other injured guys who were dinged up, nicked up, who did play were full participants. And that includes Jermaine Curse. So I'll tell you what. You get that guy back in this offense, 
And this, they, they, and speaking of that, I'm getting sidetracked a little here, but I wanted to mention this because it's not. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know I said about a million times this off season, and I've written several articles on it this off season, how I couldn't believe how badly the national media was underselling this Jets wide receiver core. Pete Prisco of uh, CBS Sports, who I interviewed him a couple years ago at the Combine. He's a nice enough guy. But I saw a tweet from him the other day saying one of his concerns with Sam Darnold is that the Jets have a lack of skill players. And I've seen that so many times this offseason. And every time, all I can do is shake my head and wonder how these guys are getting paid. So without Jermaine Curse, the Jets receivers did what they did the other day. Uh, Jason LaCampora came out, he shot out a tweet and, and said, you know, this Jets wide receiving group might be, might be the most underrated group in the NFL. Which part of me says, good, I'm glad somebody finally realized that. But then there's a part of me that goes, how did you not know that already? How did you not know? That a team with, you know, as I just mentioned, Robbie Anderson, more 40-yard touchdowns than any other receiver in the NFL last year. Jermaine Curse, 800 and some yards. Him and Robbie were on pace to combine for 2,000. Quincy Anuno was back from injury. You added Terrell Pryor, who's back from an injury. Both those guys had 800-plus yards two years ago. How you look at that group and say they, they're not good is beyond me. And now for people to, oh, the Jets and receivers, are, they're a surprise. Yeah. If you weren't paying attention, or if you're not doing your job as an analyst, you probably are pretty surprised. But to anybody who was looking at this team as they were constructing this roster in the offseason, and I know it's only one game, but I've said it all offseason, I'm I'm confident this is going to be a good group all year. This isn't, uh, you know, like I said, I don't like somebody coming out after after they finally get to, get to play a game and say, oh, this group might be good. You should have known that before. But back to the injury report and Jermaine Curse, who got us started on that. So Curse was a full participant. He missed some time last week and obviously didn't play this week uh, due to what the team said was abdominal surgery. So he was back full. Kevin Pierre-Louis is back. Uh, a lot of Jets fans won't know a whole lot about him or haven't seen a whole lot of him. He was a Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, special teamer and backup last year. Had a couple starts. Loved what I saw out of him in preseason or in training camp, rather. Uh, then he got nicked up, but you uh, you kind of felt like his contract, two-year deal, $6 million, that he wasn't going to get cut even though he wasn't healthy. Uh, to make room for him, the Jets parted ways with Ben Braden, who I ex- actually, someone just tweeted me a minute ago um, that Ben Braden has been added to the practice squad. Fully expected that when he was waived. The team obviously liked him, gave him a ton of run in the preseason, and he made the final 53. So Braden is off the roster for now. Kevin Pierre-Louis steps in, uh, but he was a full go with his injury, which is also an abdomen. Our guy who we mentioned earlier, Steve McClendon, he was a full participant, but they listed him as having a knee injury. Brian Winters, a bit of a balky back. Kevin Beecham and his, Kelvin Beecham and his foot. Spencer Long with his knee. Terrell Pryor with an ankle. We know he had that off-season surgery. And Quincy Noon was thumb. All listed on the injury report, but all of them a full go, 100%. So I'll tell you what, it'll be a lot of fun if Jermaine Curse is healthy. I want to see, I'll see a ton of four and five wide receiver sets with this, uh, with this group of receivers because, man, 
you talk about being able to create mismatches. And the Dolphins do have some good DBs. Uh, don't, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, for those of you who watched the game the other day, I thought he looked fantastic. That guy's flying all over the field, you know, kind of up there in terms of uh, was regarded as one of the best in the draft, much like Jamal Adams was. And, and he looked at the other day. He had himself a really nice game. Robert Quinn, the guy that the Dolphins picked up. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about more about the Dolphins when we do a little uh, a little preview. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Jets are a three-point favorite in this game after being an underdog on the road against the Lions last week. So that uh, that puts the Jets – well, three points at home is basically a, is basically a push because, as they say, Vegas will give you three points for being the home team. So if you're a three-point favorite at home, they uh they're not they're not picking a favorite. You're just getting three home points. But anyway, getting getting into that in full for this week because what do the, what do the Jets have to do now after a huge huge win against Detroit to keep their you know to, to keep it going to not lay an egg and uh and come out flat against the Dolphins? I don't think you can come out flat. This this crowd is going to be fired up. Jets fans are pumped. Um, that building should be rocking. Sam Darnold's debut coming off of a blowout win, and it's only week two. So I would I would look for some uh I would look for a nice nice turnout and a lot of noise. And I'm gonna say that the Jets, you know, a couple things they have to do aside from the obvious, you know, as we talked about earlier, keeping Sam Darnold upright. Um the Jets did a really nice job of that this week. Uh Dolphins, of course, as I mentioned, Robert Quinn is a the guy they acquired this offseason. Cameron Wake is still in town. Um, how much he has left in the tank. I feel like that guy's been in the league for 15 years. We'll find out soon enough um, how good he looks. They'll look to uh, try to win, win their battles on the edges, I believe. I think they're going to try to attack, you know, James Carpenter. No, sorry, not James Carpenter. Uh, Kelvin Beecham on the outside. Brandon Shell on the on the on the right side, work them a little bit with Wake and Quinn, see how they hold up, try to bring some pressure up the middle and rush Darnold, pressure him into making some throws before he wants to make them. But with Quinn with Quinn and Wake on the outside, I think that gives them a a decent chance to to make some things happen. And in ter- in terms of the secondary, if they do if they are able to get some pressure and and rush rush some throws out of Sam Darnold. I think that secondary, Xavier Howard, he's a guy I liked a lot coming out of Baylor. Thought he was going to be a good pro. He's in year two. I'm gonna, if, going off memory, I think he I think he had his moments last year. I think it was up and down, but I think he, he showed some potential. I think he can be a pretty good player on the outside. Bobby McCain's an underrated corner. I don't think uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a, a solid cover guy. And I think him and Howard, and you know, again Fitzpatrick lining up in the slot, safety, wherever. He's uh he's a good player. So the Dolphins the Dolphins have have the players, they have the ability to get some pressure on the quarterback and they have some guys on the back end who can cover. Um their linebackers on the other hand, uh like it could be just me, but I feel like Kiko Alonso has just been an absolute disaster ever since his rookie year in Buffalo. Um I know he had a pick last week, but I he still just strikes me as a guy who he he's not as hard nosed as, you, as you'd like a linebacker to be, um, especially. Uh, well, again, he was last year. I only saw I keyed on him for a few plays this week when I watched that uh, that Dolphins Titans game, that ridiculous marathon. 
what, eight, nine hours with rain delays or whatever, weather delays. Uh, but Kiko Alonso, he, he's a guy that doesn't strike me as, as living up to uh, – he hasn't played as well as he did as a rookie. And I think that's something the Jets should try to take advantage of because if he's going to – if he's struggling as much as he is or as much as he did last year, then he's a guy you got to attack. So the Jets should, should, have, should have some opportunities to be able to run the ball. The Dolphins have – Again, they, they have some quality D linemen. They have some decent DBs. Their linebackers, again, not a huge, not a huge Kiko fan. Uh, Raekwon McMillan didn't really, you know, good enough tackler. Didn't really blow me away in what I saw last week. However, I will say, um, I'm, I'm not watching these as closely as I'm watching the Jets games. So it's it's not it's entirely possible they played better than I thought they did. But uh, from what I saw, wasn't really blown away. And I think the Jets, given their depth at receiver, should have every opportunity to make plays against that that Miami defense. And really, let's face it, with the type of depth they have, they should be able to make they should be able to make plays against just about any defense. To be completely honest, um, on offense, when when well for for the for the Dolphins on offense, fans, you know, people may I, I shouldn't say people may disagree with me on this. People will disagree with me on this. People have disagreed with me on this on Twitter, and I get it to each his own. But personally, I feel like Ryan Tannehill is a much better quarterback than he gets credit for. I think he struggled early in his career. He didn't throw a a very accurate deep ball. But for some reason, people seem to forget that this guy was a converted wide receiver. You know, you talk about Darren Lee converting to linebacker. Imagine converting to quarterback and only, only doing it for a year or two before getting drafted to play quarterback in the NFL. Basically brand new to the quarterback position and coming to the pros. And his numbers, if, if you look at Ryan Tannehill's numbers, they've gotten increasingly better every season. Until last year he got hurt. And now this year he threw, a, I want to say it was a 75-yard touchdown the other day, a bomb right down the middle of the field on the money. One of the best deep balls I've seen him throw. And I think his deep ball has started to come around. He can, obviously, having played wide receiver in college, he can run a lot better than your average quarterback. And I think the guy, I I think he'd throw it well on the run. I've seen him make some throws that not a lot of guys can make. And I think because he struggled early in his career, it's sometimes hard to shake that. That's what people remember most about you. And I think he's a decent player. I think he's better than decent. I think he's a good player. And the Jets are going to have to do a nice job of keeping him contained and, and trying to get some push and trying to, trying to get in his face a little bit. But that's not going to be easy. You know, Jawan James, a tackle, not a bad player. And Jesse Davis, that, that's, a, that's a slightly upsetting development. Here's a guy who was in camp with the Jets a couple of years ago um, and has been a pretty nice player for the Dolphins. Jets let him go. He didn't make the 53. Dolphins picked him up last year. He became a starter. Started the other day and played all right. He did he did a pretty nice job. Daniel Kilgore at center does a good job as well. So they have some decent pass blockers in there. Okay, Laramie Tunzel, jury's still out on that guy. Because let's face it, he's uh came out with all the hype, number one pick in the draft, blah, blah, blah. And he's been moved around a little bit down there. Hasn't played very hasn't played as consistently as the Dolphins would like. And this could be a big year for him as well. You know, he could be in a position where he finds himself, you know, kind of Darren Lee situation. If he wants to get that fifth year guaranteed um, at some point, he's going to have to 
or if he wants that fifth-year option picked up, he's going to have to pick up his play. So it'll be interesting. He's another guy to keep an eye on this week, especially he has struggled in pass protection, and we all know very well that the Jets the Jets don't do a very good job of getting the quarterback. Uh, if I had to say there's a weak link on that line, look at Josh Sitton. Um, didn't have a great game this week, and of of the five guys up front, probably was probably struggled more than any other um, this past week. Matter of fact, just out of curiosity, we're gonna take a quick peek here and see uh, see how how he did in terms of allowing. It looks like Josh Sitton allowed allowed a couple quarterback hurries and a hit, three total, which isn't terrible. Um, but even still probably in terms of pass blocking, if I'm the Jets, he's the guy that I'm going to go after and try to get in Ryan Tannehill's face, do that early on and see how that goes and adjust from there. Because let's face it, the Jets have to find a way to get to the quarterback um, <laughs> at some point this year. Uh, Jeremiah Adochu, who I talked about earlier, though, speaking of Jets players getting to the quarterback, he did a decent job. He only played 10 snaps, but he came away with a, you know, with a couple of, with a couple of pressures and, uh, but let me see. Let's see. Yeah. So 10, 10 plays, eight pass rush plays, and he came away with a hit in a hurry, um, which, again, for just eight pass rush plays, that's, uh, you know, impacting the quarterback one, one out of every four plays. So hopefully if his calf is all healed up and he's going to do things like that, maybe uh, maybe we see him get a little bit more action. As a matter of fact, I'm planning on going back and, and watching some of uh, some of the snaps he took this past week and just keying on him and getting a look at how he did in very, very limited action. But all the same, just a, a really nice job by him. Uh, limited reps. Hopefully we see more this week. And hopefully we see a whole lot more of everything we saw last week because it was just absolutely nuts. I know I picked the Jets to lose that game, um, as I will do sometimes on the air. I then contradicted myself 100%. And I went and put a little money on the Jets, and it uh, wasn't bad. Won about 100 bucks. Um, and I'll probably, you know, I, I'm the first one to say you shouldn't bet with your heart, and then I'm the, the, the biggest idiot to go out and do it just about every week. So uh, I will absolutely be putting a little bit of money on the Jets this week with the thought that and, – and I'm picking them this week. We're going we're gonna to do a quick, quick pick right now, how I think things might unfold. I think the Dolphins do a nice job, or I think they're going to do a nice job of running the ball this year, but I think they're going to have a hard time doing that against the Jets. I think the Jets are going to force them to throw the ball, and if the, if the Jets DBs, if Claiborne, Johnson can keep playing the way they the way they played in the opener, the Dolphins are going to have a hard time scoring points. Um, if they can find a way to get these guys in the, into the middle of the field and challenge the challenge the middle of the Jets defense, see if Darren Lee, you know, was that a, was that a one game fluke? Or is Darren Lee going to emerge as a guy who you don't want to challenge all that much? We'll find out in the coming weeks. But I think the Dolphins are going to test that theory. They're going to you know, make make Sam or make uh, Jamal Adams and and Darren Lee both prove that last week wasn't a fluke and that they are reliable in pass coverage. So look for Donald to try to test the Jets early and often, see if they can uh, put some points up. And if the Jets DBs do come up big then the Dolphins are going to they're going to have a hard time because I really think this run defense, you know, especially the Avery Williamson playing in the middle, playing behind McClendon and with Anderson and Leo, Leo, Leo wasn't, uh, Leo disrupted a few plays, saw him beat his, beat his man a couple times, 
But uh, I would say Anderson probably – Henry Anderson had the best game um, between the two, and it would be nice to see Leo kind of break out and make a couple plays this week. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Either way, I'm picking the Jets this week. We're going to say 27-20. I, uh, I think the Dolphins do put some points on the board. Uh, I think they're going to be – they're a little bit more multidimensional than the Lions are, so they'll make the Jets work a little bit more. But I'm saying 27-20 Jets – and what will hopefully be a, a nice a nice welcome back to MetLife Stadium, welcome back to regular season football for Jets fans. And let's face it, folks, this is uh, what we got a glimpse of this week showed us that this has the potential to be a, a very exciting season. I know I'm excited. I know you guys are too. And uh, let's let's hope that the Jets welcome Miami into MetLife. And uh, and roll them on out of there at two and zero, and have a chance to head to Cleveland to play the Browns with a chance to start the season at three and zero. It's as as hard to believe as it may be. It's there's a very real possibility these are winnable games. The Dolphins, well, you know, the, the Dolphins are by no means a cakewalk, but they are far from a juggernaut. So the Jets have two very winnable games coming up. But as they say, one game at a time, and let's hope that this week is another big win, another uh, another strong effort from Sam Donald and the defense. But for me tonight, that is all. I appreciate it for I appreciate all of you tuning in, and we look forward to having you with us again next week. Hopefully, hopefully, back to our normal night on Tuesdays, and uh, check us out on Twitter. We'll keep you updated. Have a great night.